Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the downloads and the reviews on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts from. PulpHockey.com, of course. You can always go there. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it, man. Tell a friend. Spread the word. Uh, appreciate it. We really, really have a fun time doing this show. I'm Steve Mathis with me on the line to talk about all of the latest things going on in the NHL. Former NHLer, voice of uh, many, many games over the years, as well as TSN lead color analyst, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you? Uh, I'm cold. <laughs> you are in Winnipeg right now, my hometown. Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, it is minus upper 30s today, mm-hmm. Celsius, which <laughs> I don't even really know what that would be. I think point I, I think they meet the same. They're the same. when they, certain, oh, are they? Yes. When they get to a certain point, it's all the same? Yes, yes, I believe so. It is... Minus freaking cold <laughs> is, is what it is. Like, I, I know it. in Vancouver we've gotten soft. You know, like yeah. we get we get lots of rain, and um, uh, you know, and when the the wind off the ocean comes in, like it's cold and it's damp and it's, it's pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. But this, I don't I don't care that it's a quote-unquote dry cold. I don't care that the sun is up. Right. It is. I walked across the street to the drugstore, and my face has been cold for 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's literally across the street. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's the coldest walk I've ever had. I just, I haven't done it for, you know, for so long. I've been living in America for over 20 years, and just, I can picture walking to school in days like that, like, just walking to school, head down, trudging forward. that's a good point. Like, it's not like, like, obviously people are being careful because it's at a point you can get frostbite almost instantly. But it's not like nobody's out. Like, no, they're out yeah. doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, just... I guess you live here and you, you just deal with it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm in. I've been doing, I did two Jets games. Uh, I was in Philly and in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I've got the Columbus game on Thursday before I get into Detroit for uh, Toronto's uh, and Detroit's first game after their break. After their breaks, yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's start with that. We got a trade to talk about. I want to touch on the Jets as well. We have Kenny Albert coming on, also, right? Kenny Albert, one of um, one of the most versatile uh, broadcasters in the last twenty years. If there's a sport, Kenny has broadcasted. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, comes from uh, a very famous family of broadcasters. You know, his father Marv is was one of the great broadcasters of the 70s, 80s, 90s, yeah, into a, the 2000s. An and, icon, um, yeah. And, you know, so Kenny's done just about everything. So we'll talk to him and see what he's up to. He works for NBC Sports, works for the – does games for the Rangers on MSG. It's uh, does Fox football. Like I said, if there's a sport, Kenny's been doing it. Now, when you do radio for the Stanley Cup Finals, it's with Kenny? Uh, with Kenny and Joe Micheletti. Yeah, and, yep. uh what I didn't realize is that um, 
you know, like Kenny always appears to me to from the outside to be a pretty serious guy. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that he's not. <laughs> okay. That he's he likes he likes to joke. He likes to prank. Like he likes that stuff, and that really surprised me. And as much as he, you know, is known for the bigger assignments, uh, he started off Baltimore Skipjacks, a hockey guy from back in the day. Like that's where his roots are. Is okay, with so I didn't know that, and I've got to ask him if he remembers the opening when the Skipjacks would come on the ice. Okay. Be- because I'll tell you what it is now, yeah. and we'll see if he remembers it. I was playing in Binghamton in the American League, and we go down there, and they'd announce, you know, the rink would go dark, and they'd say, uh, this, this ring, like a half moon, if you will, a fire would be lit. Okay. And they'd say, you know, in the monster truck voice, right. coming through the ring of fire at your Baltimore skipjacks. And I'm like, I'm 20. I'm like, what the hell is going on down there? It looked like a brush fire. You're like, uh, we don't have this in trail. No, we did not have the the, uh, the ring of fire, but that's how the skipjacks came onto the ice. Right. All right. Well, perfect. We'll, we'll talk to Kenny here in a little bit. So uh, let's start with the Leafs. I know it's just random. I know it's not something that... Uh, people expect out of me, but let's start with the Leafs. So they get Jake Muzzin from the Kings. They give up a first-rounder. Carl Grundstrom also going over, as well as a, another piece in there. Um, I saw this trade, Ray, and honestly, I thought it was a rental. I, I the, the price is pretty low, I thought, for a guy like Muzzin. I went and checked uh, Muzzin's contract status. He's got another year. I, I really I love this trade for the Leafs. I think it's great. I think it's a good trade uh, that – that Kyle Dubas was able to to make. I, you know, on the other end, I kind of uh, I'll get to Rob Blake and the Kings in a second, but mm-hmm. I think they did just fine as well. Um, but for the Leafs, they didn't lose anybody off their roster. They upgraded their defense. Um, I, I think people have to be careful about thinking that Jake Muzzin is the missing piece to give them a Stanley Cup championship. You know, like this is going to change everything for them. But is unquestionably the Leafs are better. Mm-hmm. By, by a significant margin today than the day they were before they made the trade. Um, you know, now they've got to figure out who's going to play with who and can Muzzin play the right side. As former coach Daryl Sutter did an interview and said he's never played the right side in the NHL. And so Daryl would know. Yep. Um, I, w- I would suspect that the Leafs can use this 25 days, and, and that's another positive to the deal is they were able to do it so early is they can use these days to use them as a little bit of trial and error. Um, you know, does Muzzin work on the right side with Morgan Riley? Mm-hmm. Does Muzzin go to the left side and Riley go to the right side? Um, would they flip Jake Gardner to the right side and play Muzzin with Zaitsev? You know, they've, they've got some options now that they didn't have. Gardner and Riley would scare me, though. <laughs> it would really well, scare me. A hundred percent, but... <laughs> right. They ha- they're who knows, in a position right? yeah. here, Steve, that as I see it anyway, they're not catching Tampa. Mm-hmm. They're going to be in that second and third spot unless the train just careens off the tracks in their division. They have time to solidify their lineup the way that they want. It's really a, it's really a benefit that lots of teams don't have because most are fighting for, for position. Mm-hmm. Toronto's in position. It's just whether they got a home extra home game or not in the first round. Now, as for the Kings, they get a first rounder, albeit it'll be in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, they get a prospect in Grundstrom that I think is an NHL player. Um, 
will be very shortly uh, on the Kings' third line. But I think that's where he tops out, too. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to be a, a second-line player. Um, but he's fast. He's physical. Um, he can forecheck. He'll kill penalties. He'll drive the net. Um, I liked a lot of him when I saw him for at the World Juniors when he played for Sweden. Um, First-year pro and ups and downs and all that stuff mm-hmm. to go with it. But this is the first of, I think, several moves that the Kings have to make to get faster and younger. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, I mean, I, there's probably a lot of few guys that like to get rid of what, that didn't have big contracts, right? I mean, they, Muzzin is one of the more attractive guys that they can they can move. And, and well, I mean, teams are teams are not gonna are not gonna sell first round picks for guys that have gross contracts yep. going forward. Yeah, like they're just not gonna do it. Maybe in the past teams did it a little more. They're like, yeah, you know what, we can we can chew on year three of that contract they, they don't want to do it anymore and, um so i think when you look at the trade boards that's, that are put out and tsn has a really comprehensive 50 player list is that um you look most of the guys are on expiring contracts near the top or if they have term they have really manageable term and for whatever reason they're you know various teams they go on um you know have different guys mm-hmm. on their on their up for trade i mean look at the the most attractive guy out there right now is artemi panarin who just told Columbus that you know he's not going to talk about his contract till after the season. So you're Yarmo Kekalainen in Columbus. Your team's in third in the Metro Division. You're four points out of the division lead, but you're now only three points out of ninth place after a loss to Buffalo. So do you trade Panarin for futures? Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to believe you're going to get ready-made NHL players for Panarin. And the reason I say that is... A team that's acquiring him, if they're any good, they don't want to subtract from their roster. No, yeah, of course not. So you're you're yep. stuck in a little bit of. Do you trade him to a place that's not in the playoffs? Well, why wouldn't they just wait till July first and make a bid free agency wide mm-hmm. so they don't have to burn assets? Yeah, I I think you got to ride that out with both guys, goalie Bob. It's also. hard though. Then you get there and you get nothing for right, either of them. Right, right. You know, I I think I would be more inclined, Steve, to stay just what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd pursue on Panarin. I'd see what I could get back. You know, I was in Boston last night for the Jets, and um, their top line is just amazing. Bergeron, Marsha, and and, uh, Pasternak. You know, Bergeron had two goals, Pasternak had one, Marshan had three assists. Like, nobody else really scares you, even though Krejci's having a pretty good year with Jake DeBrusque. But they don't have another forward there. Like, man, would Panarin look unbelievable there. Mm -hmm. But what would you have to give up? Your first, for sure. But they need somebody for now. Yeah, uh, Yeah, if you're Columbus. Columbus, like, they they don't have enough of a cushion to, to ease their way into the playoffs. So it's a tough spot that he's he's put them in, but... It's every bit his right. He's got a free. He's got a contract that's expired, expiring. Him and him and Bobrovsky, both of them, um, and um, it's their right to to explore free agency. But it, nonetheless, it doesn't make it very easy for Columbus. No, absolutely not. Um, so we talked about the Leafs keeping Jake Gardner for next year. His deal is up. His contract is up. But with this Muzzin acquisition, and as I said, he's got another year. Really tough to see. Now it was tough, anyways. Ray, you would always told us anyways that it's tough but 
Muzzin's going to probably eat up that that bit of money. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. Mm-hmm. If you if you look at the way the Leafs are signed into next year, you've got Riley, Muzzin, Zaitsev, Dermott, mm-hmm. um, and then they've got young guys like uh, Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Lilgren. Um, uh, they signed Callie Rosen to a two-year extension. Like that's the rest of your defense. Yeah, you know. and and it, it's just I I don't see a way that it could include Jake Gardner before, and certainly not now. All right, Ray. Uh, well said. Let's uh, let's touch on some more topics um, after we get to our first guest here on the show. This man calls just about everything out there. Uh, the Rangers play-by-play radio voice, Fox Sports, uh, NBC Sports. Hockey, baseball, Olympics, uh, he does it all. Kenny, Albert, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Kenny, how do you keep everything straight? (laughs) You know, I I think being organized is probably the first thing. Um, Very fortunate to be involved in in so many different sports. And, um, you know, you have to have a a calendar, I guess, uh, at all times. And, you know, the biggest challenge is sometimes remembering what hotel room you're in. I've started to take photos of the hotel room number, but uh, no, really being organized, getting ahead of things as far as the work and the preparation. If it's a really busy week, um, just trying to get things done in advance and take advantage of the time on, on airplanes and in taxis and Ubers and cars. And, uh, you know, th- those are actually some of the most fun times of the year as well. You know, Ray, as you know, during the playoffs when you have six or seven games a week, um, somehow you managed to get everything done. But how do you do it when you have different sports in the same week? I would, I, you know, like when we are in the playoffs and we're busy, busy, busy with hockey all the time, you kind of get into a rhythm. But how would you find a rhythm if you've got a football game one day and two days later you've got a hockey game? You, you know what, that's a good point, Ray, because in the playoffs it's actually easier if you're following – whether it's one series or two series, you're at all the games. So a lot of the preparation is actually what you see in front of you, you know, during the earlier games in that series. But there, there have been a couple of times in October, which is the only month it can happen, when, when I've actually had three or four sports in, in a week or in a 10-day stretch. And, you know, like I said, that, that's probably the most fun time of the year, but um, definitely the most challenging. You know, there might not be a lot of sleep, um, just trying to get all the work done. But, you know, to me, hockey's sort of like riding a bike. Um, I get the question all the time, what's the easiest sport to broadcast and what's the hardest sport? And most people think hockey's the hardest because of all the names and the changes on the fly, et cetera. But to me, it, it's the easiest because you're continually describing the action, um, working you know, storylines in and, and stats here and there. Um, and plus, I've done it the longest. I've done hockey now for 29 years, so it it it. it I describe it as like riding a bike. You know, I can probably wake up in the middle of the night and and broadcast a hockey game as long as you're familiar with the teams. Um, to me, baseball is the most challenging because there's so much downtime, and hopefully you have a good analyst with you to fill in the blanks. Football is sort of a set formula. It's one play and then 20 or 30 seconds. Another play, 20 or 30 seconds. Basketball is similar to hockey, um, similar type rhythm, although it's a little bit slower, and there are more stoppages, more whistles for fouls and balls that go out of bounds, but I think those two sports, basketball and hockey, are the most similar as far as play-by-play. When you started, Kenny, did you have, like, what did you have as your plan? I mean, you come from a, a famous broadcasting family, but did you have a plan or were you just started? My, my goal, Ray, was, was to do hockey on the radio. That was it. And 
I've been really lucky and real fortunate uh, to wind up working so many different sports. And when Fox started uh, a sports department with the NFL in 94, a number of us were really in the right place at the right time. Uh, myself, Joe Buck, Tom Brenneman, uh, Kevin Harlan, who were, we were all young play-by-play announcers at the time. And um, CBS had had the NFC package for 35, 40 years. And all of a sudden, Rupert Murdoch comes in and, and steals it away. And I, I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be working NFL games on TV at the age of 26. You know, that, that never happens. Joe Buck was 25 at the time, and, you know, look at him now. He's worked probably five or six Super Bowls and, and 20 World Series, you know, somewhere around that number. Um, but back then, all of the play-by-play guys who worked football were, you know, 40 or 50 years old, and they had been doing it forever. And if Fox had not come in and, and – like I said, stolen away the NFC package. Uh, none of us would be doing close to the amount of, uh, you know, work that that we started at such a young age. But hockey was really the goal. Hockey radio, um, as you said, grew up in a family of sportscasters, and I always joke that holidays and birthday celebrations in our house were really the first all sports radio stations <laughs> between my father and my uncles. Um, you know, they would be talking sports, discussing the various teams and players that, you know, they were around all the time. And it was just a lot of fun listening in and, and um, you know, gathering information via osmosis. My parents actually gave me a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five years old. You know, this is back in 1973. And I so set up my room like a... strap one of those ones? <laughs> It was like a, it was a toy. It wasn't even a real tape recorder. It was, you know, Mattel or one of the toy companies. And I would start to announce games into the tape recorder. When I was five or six years old, I set up my bedroom like a studio. I had the TV and the bed in the middle and the desk. And when I was old enough, I would, I would start taking it to various games around the New York area. And I, I was actually really lucky in, in high school. When I was in 10th grade, a small cable company on Long Island, Cox Cable, showed up at my high school to film a girls' basketball game. And they had two cameras and no announcers. And I volunteered. I was there covering the game for the school newspaper and volunteered to announce the game. And they, they clipped a microphone on my shirt. And uh, you know, there were probably 20 people in the stands, parents of the players. And they probably thought I was a lunatic up in the third <laughs> row announcing the game into a small microphone. But um, I felt like I had a, such a head start because over the next three years, um, whenever Cox Cable had a sporting event, whether it was basketball, hockey, football, baseball, soccer, lacrosse, um, they they would ask me to come work the game. And obviously I wasn't getting paid. I didn't care. I just wanted the experience. And um, that was three years with hundreds of games. And it was just uh, such an invaluable experience when I look back and um, went on to college at NYU and, and we broadcasted the uh, basketball games. They had a Division three basketball program. Ray, I'm not sure if you knew this. I actually played hockey on the club team there. Uh, I did when I was not. A freshman, what position? When I was a freshman, another student started a club team, club hockey team, and I didn't score many goals, but I scored the first goal in the history of NYU hockey. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the program's okay. going a lot stronger now than it was back then. Um, they actually the practice with the broadcast years. stuff, Kenny. This is a, this is a unfound nugget. <laughs> yeah, first, first goal in school history. And... Uh, Went on to um, fill in on some Islander pre- and post-game shows uh, and did some play-by-play of Islander games. And uh, you were there, you know, in the early 90s. And uh, I got to call some of those games and wound up um, using those tapes to, to get a job with the Baltimore Skipjacks of the American Hockey League 
1991 was my first season in the AHL. And, um, again, just such a great experience, not only doing the broadcast, but working in the team office and, you know, taking the six, eight, ten-hour bus rides with the players. And, um, you know, we, we didn't have a very good team, but we had some guys on that team that went on to uh, long NHL careers. Uh, Joel Quenville was on the team my first year for about 40 games uh, when he was sent down by Washington. Robbie Laird was our head coach. Barry Trotz was the assistant coach. So uh, such great memories when I look back at it. Kenny, I told this story before you came on. I don't know if they still did it in the, in the 90s. I played in Binghamton in 84-85, and we went to Baltimore, and they introduced the team in a very unique way. Did they still have the ring of fire? They did not have the ring of fire. I heard about it when I was there. They did not have the ring of fire, but you probably remember the, the fight song, the Skipjacks fight song that they would play every time the team scored. I'll tell you and what else I remember. The league was a was little unique. different back then, eh? It was a little more rough. You were describing a few more fights, I'm sure, than in the 90s than, than today when, when the, you know hockey's moved away. But that was one of the most scary buildings because of the ring of fire, because it was dark, and because they had these enormous guys on their team. I hated well, going into that place. You know, it, it was a, it was a kind of a different building than most of the American Hockey League buildings because it had eleven or 12,000 seats. Um, they used to play NBA basketball there, the Baltimore Bullets, before they moved to Washington. And there was a stage on one end, if you remember, right yeah. by the locker rooms. There weren't That's seats where the ring of fire was, the, Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where the Ring of Fire was. And the story, the legend that I always heard was that when the NHL was going to expand in 67, that it came down to Philadelphia and Baltimore for one of the spots. And the story that I always heard was that Clarence Campbell, the league commissioner or president at the time, um, came into Baltimore with a group of other executives and took one look around the building and said, Philadelphia is getting the team. And that's how the Flyers were born. <laughs> But we did have, you know, you talk about the fights. We had some big, you know, Western League guys. Jim Matheson was a defenseman, and Bobby Babcock, you might remember, he was a forward. Uh, probably had, you know, over 200 minutes in, in penalties. A, a player named Richie Walcott, I think, in the 91-92 season. So, uh, yeah, those guys certainly uh, dropped the gloves. I remember a, 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 a brawl that included the goaltender. It was Jim Rivnack for us, for our team in Baltimore, and, Dominic Roussel for the Hershey Bears, and things got so out of hand that they wound up uh, putting the goalies in the penalty box as well. <laughs> <laughs> well at some point, you just got to stop the madness, I guess, and put them in. Now, hey, Kenny, I got a question though for young broadcasters that are coming in. You just outlined how you, you know, you you did um, games basically anywhere you could, and you were just building up reps after reps after reps. I see that as some of the biggest challenge to young broadcasters today is that they can't build the reps to get themselves uh, developing a style of whatever it might be. Do you think so? Well, I think the reps are the most important thing. I listen back to some of those tapes from Baltimore, and I can't believe it's 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 me. You know, <laughs> it, it just sounds. You know, looking back, you wouldn't send that tape out anywhere. But um, I guess it worked back then. I think on one hand, Ray. Um, there, there are so many more opportunities now with, with the Internet. Um, you know, back when, when you were playing in the AHL, when I was broadcasting there, we had a fight for airtime on the radio station. 
you know, now with the internet, teams can put their games out in, you know, on various platforms, on, on apps, on, on, you know, on your iPhone, you can listen to games. Um, there are more teams, more NHL teams, more minor league teams. And I always encourage, I speak at a, a number of broadcasting camps in the summer months, uh, which usually include both high school and college students. And uh, some of these youngsters who I've met through the years have gone on one of them's working in the East Coast League now as a broadcaster. He's moved up the ranks. And um, when I worked the game, I saw you in Philadelphia the other night, and there was a gentleman up in the press box who works the games for Reading in the East Coast League, and he's somebody that I've kept in touch with through the years. So I think there are more opportunities now. Um, I also think, in a way, in a sense, there aren't as many broadcasters focusing on play-by-play. You know, so many of the college students are. are you know, looking at other aspects of broadcasting, whether it's hosting a talk show, doing sports updates, uh, going, you know, the TV route. So, you know, I always encourage young play-by-play announcers to send out tapes to minor league teams, you know, whether it's the AHL, the East Coast League, uh, you know, the USHL. And um, there definitely are opportunities out there. So for anyone listening, uh, don't give up. You know, it might get frustrating at times. You know, I remember back in my AHL years, there were only 21 NHL teams, so there weren't necessarily a lot of opportunities out there. But over the next five or six years, the NHL expanded from 21 to 30. And so many play-by-play guys who are still in the NHL to this day uh, were my colleagues in the American Hockey League. Uh, Jim Jackson, who does the Flyers on TV, he was in uh, Utica with the Devils. Dan Rusinowski out in San Jose was in New Haven. Joe Beninati with the Capitals was up in Portland, Maine. And there are a number of others. So, uh, you know, we were all fortunate back then that expansion kicked in and the NHL expanded uh, from, like I said, from 21 teams to 30. Do you have any idea how many games you've called? I I could figure it out. Um, I I don't have an exact number, but I I, I sort of have an idea in each sport. I know I've – I hit 1,000 games with the Rangers um, about four years ago, and – I actually miss a lot of Ranger games during the football season, so the number would be even higher. So with the Rangers, I think it's about 1,200. And then, of course, there are other um, NHL games with with NBC and with um, Fox back in the day. And I was in Washington for three years working the home games. So I would say in the NHL, it's it's probably over 1,500 or 1,600. Um, In the NFL, I actually hit 400 this year. Which, uh, you know, considering they only play 16 games a year, that's taken 25 years to accumulate. Um, and, and in the other sports, um, again, I could figure it out if I, if I you know, had uh, 20 right. minutes uh, to kill. But uh, it's definitely over, over 1,200 games with the Rangers on the radio side for sure. Now, outside of the Stanley Cup, has there been a handful of games that quickly jump to your forefront and go, oh, that was such an amazing night or that was such an amazing performance that you keep the, that they're always there for you, they're your favorites? Well, in, in hockey, um, I've had the opportunity to call five Stanley Cups on the radio side for NHL Radio and for Westwood One, and uh, we've worked together on a number of them. Um, I, I actually did work the 94 finals on NHL Radio uh, with the Rangers and Canucks, so that that certainly stands out. And and that was that was a crazy story. Howie Rose had done the finals for the NHL radio with uh, Mike Keenan the year before, in '93, the Montreal LA series. And Mike was obviously coaching the Rangers the next year. And 
how he was scheduled to work once again. But with the Rangers getting there, he was working the Ranger radio at the time. So uh, during the semifinals, the Rangers-Devil series, I received a phone call, hey, if the Rangers advance, how he can't do it, uh, would you be available and would you be interested? And, you know, I, I would drop anything at that point to work the Stanley Cup final. And I actually met my wife, believe it or not, uh, after game five. She was in town. She lived in New York, and a friend of mine from Baltimore who she had gone to college with was in town. And if the Rangers had actually won that game and won the Cup in five, we probably would not have met because I would have gone to some kind of celebration or post-Stanley Cup party. Vancouver wound up winning that game, and I met my wife on June 9th, 1994, uh, the day of game five of the Stanley Cup. But that series certainly stands out, game seven, with the Rangers winning for the first time in 54 years. Um, you know, there are certainly other great playoff games through the years, but, but I also have to put up there, and again, you were, you were in the building as well, the, uh, the women's gold medal game at the Olympics in Korea last year, which I had the opportunity to call an NBC uh, with the U.S. women uh, beating Canada in the shootout. Mm-hmm. You know, that's certainly up there, I think, in my top five of, of all-time games that I've had the, the opportunity to work. Kenny, I got a question for you. So I find it fascinating the analyst role uh, for all these different sports you do because obviously Ray and I are friends, and I don't want to pump him up here, but I think he's one of the best. I, I love how he he tells us on this show, like I don't care that I'm friends with these guys. I, I call it like I see it. I've you know got 18 years of experience. He understands it. And the, there is a line there for these analysts that you work with. A lot of them are the ex athletes that want to either not offend anybody want to get a job back into the game at some point so they don't want to you know, be too harsh. But you're trying to pull it out of them to give the viewer an honest opinion of what happened. Um, who are some of the best you've worked with, and what advice do you give some of these athletes that you're sitting next to that are you know, trying to um, you know, and, and get the viewer the best information possible? Well, I, I might hold the record. There's a possibility <laughs> that I hold the record for the most analysts combined. <laughs> Um, in a career, and I actually keep a list. I've had over 250 or 300 analysts and really have been lucky in, in, in all sports to work with some of the, the top in the business. Uh, I worked a few games with Troy Aikman uh, on the football side. I worked a game with Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw. I had Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa for eight years on football and, mm-hmm. and now work with Rondé Barber. Baseball, worked a number of games with Tim McCarver through the years. Uh, basketball, I get to work with Walt Clyde Frazier about 20 games a year. And on hockey, you know, the list is, is you know, too long to mention everybody. But, um, you know, from John Davidson, Joe Micheletti, mm-hmm. Eddie Olchek, Pierre Maguire, Ray, of course. We haven't done too many games together, but we, we've done a few. And uh, on the Rangers side, on radio, I had Sal Messina for a number of years who's in the Hall of Fame, and now Dave Maloney for the last 14 who does a great job. So, um Really lucky to, uh, mm-hmm. to to share the booth with with all of the guys that I just mentioned. I, I know I'm forgetting some, but um, you know I think that's a, a big part of my job is to try to set up the analysts and, and draw information out of them. And have been really lucky. I, I think of the of the 250 or 300, I could probably count on on one hand the ones that I, I did not enjoy working with, uh, if any. So mm-hmm. um, you know, and I always try to study the, the careers of, of whoever I'm working with because you want to, you know, kind of draw in on their experiences. Uh, last night, for example, the Rangers-Flyers game, um, Dave Maloney, who was the captain of the Rangers, played there for 10 years. He was actually traded to Buffalo for uh, Stephen Patrick, whose mm-hmm. son Nolan was playing for the Flyers last yeah. night. So we got into a little bit of an anecdote about, about uh, you know, that deal back in uh, December of 84, I guess it was. 
Kenny, um, one last one for me. When you look at yourself in 10 years, are you still at the same pace of schedule if you have your druthers? Are you slowed down a little bit? Because you have a crazy, crazy schedule. We've, we've all had the enjoyment of listening to you call games across all the sports you talk about. But is there a time when you go, well, maybe in X number of years I'd like to slow down just a bit? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that they'll come, but um, you know, I think at some point uh, they're not going to want you anymore. So you may as well <laughs> you may as well do it when they do want you to work. Um, I, I never feel like I'm going to work. Yes, it's a hectic schedule and a lot of days and nights on planes. But um, and, and my wife always tells people when they ask, I, I've never felt once like I'm actually going to work. You know, we're not sitting in an office doing something we hate. Uh, we get to watch sporting events and, and read about it. And um, I am home a lot in the summer. You know, that, that's kind of the opposite of the rest of the year. Um, I work a couple of baseball games here and there. But for the most part, from the middle of June through late August, I'm home probably 90% of the time. And, you know, as you know, Ray, when the kids get older, when you're home too much, you break the routine. So they're wondering what you're doing there. But, <laughs> no, I'm sure at some point it'll slow down. And, uh, you know, you never want this to happen. But, networks lose contracts and sometimes you know you're not doing as much as you were at a, at a certain point but uh um again never feel like i'm going to work uh very fortunate and uh uh you know we'll see what happens down the line who knows but i'm sure at one point it'll slow down absolutely well kenny uh i want to thank you for for coming on today it was awesome to hear how you started and where you went through and i can't believe the story of meeting your wife by the way i think that was phenomenal what what great fortune for you, not her, for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely not for her. But you never know. You never know what might happen on any given day or night, right? You betcha. So I will see you somewhere down the road, Kenny. Travel safe, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks to Kenny Albert for coming on. Ray, uh, interesting guy, uh, calling all the four sports. It's uh, it's insane that, that you do that and you keep up with it and everything else. He was being too modest, I think, Ray, about, about doing that. Oh, no, not even close to <laughs> giving it the amount of, of respect that it deserved. Kenny is so, I mean, we heard he's yeah. so humble. It is so hard to do multiple games in a week. Even in the NHL, like mm-hmm. we talked about doing playoff games when, you know, there's four teams and you can, you know, you kind of, you can see all the games they play on different nights. You can, you know, it gets yeah. easy or easier in the playoffs. But even a stretch I have, like on Thursday I have Columbus at Winnipeg. On Friday I have Detroit and Toronto. Um, and then I have Anaheim on Monday and San Jose on Tuesday. So I've got to catch up to all of those teams. But that's in the same sport. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine bringing your – you've got your football charts, your baseball charts, <laughs> now you've got your hockey prep, yeah. and that's in October, as he talked about. And you've got to keep it all straight in your head. I'm sure every once in a while he looks at number 14 <laughs> and sees number 14 on the football field, but he's in a basketball arena. Yeah. Yeah, great. It must have. It's he really does an amazing job. Interesting how he got his start, huh? I mean, obviously he's the son of Marv, who's you know iconic, especially probably known for NBA over anything else. Yeah. But um, yeah, cool how he got his start, just calling basketball games and wiring himself. Well, what up. I find interesting about that, and and I guess it's probably this way for a lot of the play-by-play guys is 
most of us that are analysts played the sport. Uh, somebody noticed us being talkative or have a good take on the game while we were playing, and they say, hey, would you like to try this? And so we try it. And then for me, it's been 16 years later. But I, I came you know, from the ice to the booth. The road that the play-by-play guy has has to be created by themselves. Because, you know, when Kenny's talking about any sport that Cox Cable had, lacrosse and basketball and football and anything, they'd call him and he'd go do it. He wasn't getting paid, but he was grinding out the reps and building a, uh, building a way that he was going to broadcast a style. Mm-hmm. I find that really fascinating. And it's, it, I, I, so many times you hear, oh, where did this guy come from? Right. Well, this guy came from a long way back. <laughs> and they, yeah. there's a great saying, I love it all the time, it yeah. uh, um, takes a long time to be an overnight success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? Um, all right, let's get into the uh, the bye weeks a little bit. I want to talk about the Jets. Uh, I'll take some Twitter questions from you people this day. And Ray, also, uh, what are you going to do on your off day in Winnipeg? By the way, what are you doing today? You just right, that's um, it. Well, I'm doing the podcast. Yep. I've got uh, three radio hits to do. I'm going to work out. I'm going to pay some bills. Mm. I, this is how a type anal I have. <laughs> um, I I have a list on my desk here in the you, room. You made a list. Huh. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. And. I will knock off about seven things today. Nice, nice. I like One it. of the things on the list, though, is a nap. <laughs> and I write it down, and I cross it off. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, but I, I'll get a workout in and then watch some games tonight as you know, teams get back into the oh. swing after the breaks. On the bottom of your list, do you have in all caps, do not go outside? <laughs> there is zero chance I will step outside of this building. Right, right. Um, all right, let's get into it. So bye weeks came in a few years ago, and uh, they're, they've changed up a little bit. Most of the teams, are, all the teams are getting them in, in a couple of weeks now. They were kind of spread out before. Um, what would it be like? They weren't there when you were around, but what would it be like getting going after eight days off? And, and you got the all-star break in there also for some teams. Um, that's got to be a tough, tough deal. It really is. Far harder than you than you would suspect. I mean, you've been skating for three and a half months, and and now you take eight days off, and you'd think you'd just feel great, and you'll just jump back on the ice. Well, your your bumps and bruises feel a little better. Um, you know, you're you're generally able to to sleep in and get some rest and catch up. A lot of guys go on trips. I mm-hmm. think you know, depending on where you played, um, you know, like guys, if they're in the cold spot, they're getting to some heat as fast as they can. If you're living in L.A. and Florida and Tampa, yeah. maybe you don't worry about it so much. And, you know, you you might take a day trip or a couple of day trip, but you're not flying to Cabo or something like a lot of the players did this year. Yeah. But then you get back, and no matter what you do, you ride the bike for half an hour a day or you you might lift weights once in the in, – you know, because you're trying to rest. Mm-hmm. But then you get back, and it's like you've never skated before. <laughs> the puck feels heavy. Yeah. Your legs feel terrible. Your conditioning, you're like, what happened? It's uh, you know, I talked to a couple of the Jets guys yesterday. Yep. Uh, they played back-to-back games in Philly and Boston, so this was the morning of the Boston. Nice game. easy start, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, like for Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley, they played in the All Star game in San Jose. Mm-hmm. So they had to fly from Dallas to San Jose. Um, they had to get up early because they had to get there for all the events on mm-hmm. the Friday. And then they went through the weekend, which was really busy. 
they had a they got back into Winnipeg apparently uh, late on um, Sunday. Sunday night, yep. and then the Jets flew Monday morning at 8 a.m. to Philadelphia, and then they played back-to-back nights. Like yep. there is no break for them; they've got to be exhausted. They played over 20 minutes in both nights. Mm-hmm. Um, but I talked to a couple of guys in the gym uh, before the Boston game in the hotel. We were in the same hotel and. They were just down there kind of pedaling the bike because they didn't have uh, a skate in the morning. Mm-hmm. And they all said the same thing. They felt not very good yeah. in, the, in the first game. Right. And, and I read John Tortorella's quote, they lost 5-4 to Buffalo. And he said um, the game was really sloppy against Buffalo. He said, we out-sloppied them. <laughs> yeah, so it'll take a few games for everybody to get, get their feet under them, huh? But one thing the league... You know, a lot of this is, is trial and error, but the one thing that they noticed and, and rectified, uh, to their credit, is they got everybody on the same bye week. Yeah. So Buffalo played Columbus. That was their first game. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia played Winnipeg. It was their first game. Then Boston played their first game, but Winnipeg was on a back-to-back. So everything kind of feels the yeah. same. Yeah, a couple, last year I think there were some grumblings about teams playing, you know, coming off their buys and then playing a team that had been rolling or whatever, you know. And yeah, you don't have a chance. You get steamrolled. Yeah. And those are, yeah. you know, as we've seen, have become very valuable points. Would you have loved the bye weeks, though? Yeah. I, yeah. I, we're all – we all would have been in favor of getting, you know, a week <laughs> off where you just don't get crashed around. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're you get to heal a little bit. You can – get treatment if you need to mm-hmm. you can you can relax with your family and just you don't have to do anything that's that's probably the biggest benefit is you don't have to do anything and then you know you you notice like when the guys come back there's always a little extra hop in their step right they've yep. they're refreshed and that's what the goal of it is so like you said back to back with the jets uh patrick line a season low uh he played the other night um they're, I mean, they're, they they won. They came off. The, they lost the Flyers. They've they've continued to be very consistent. The Winnipeg Jets have throughout the year. They've never, I think, lost more than three and two in a row. And yeah, they haven't lost three in a row. Right, yet. they have not lost three in a row. So, what do you what do you make of their season? What do you make of Line's struggles right now? He was amazing in December. Um, and do you think they're going to add in the add add in the trade deadline? Um, I, I think they're a really good team. Um, I think they're a team that knows that they'll only be judged in April, May, and June yep. if they can get there. Um, you know, the, they, could have, they could win the division. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. It, for them, it's about can you go a step farther? Can you get yourself through the next round? And, and that's, you know, they got to the, the conference finals last year and they just kind of ran out of gas. Um, that's the first part. The second part uh, about line A is he's not had a very good season. Um, I know his numbers look very similar to his first years, mm-hmm. uh, first two years, but of course most of those goals came in December. Um, there, the, there's been zero production. One goal in his last 12 games. He didn't have a shot attempt last night. That was the third time in his career that he's not had a, a shot attempt. He's not. He didn't skate very well. Uh, he wasn't really engaged. He looks a little lost. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you. And then to the last point of it, yes, I think they will add. Um, I think they need they need a creator. Now, they're going to, which was what Paul Stastny was yep. last year for them. 
before he left as a free agent and signed in Vegas. Now, they're going to get Nick Ehlers back, um, and that gives them a little bit more flexibility. Um, but I'm curious if they'll look to add, um, if they can, uh, a centerman to play behind Shifley. Yep. Shifley's played 20-plus minutes, 21 games in a row. It's too much. Mm-hmm. And they need, they need some help for a very good player. One of the, because oh, eventually you just run out of gas. Yep. One of the rumors out there is uh, getting Broussard out of Pittsburgh. That hasn't really worked the, the way that uh, the Penguins would have liked. I'd see, I'd be nervous about Broussard, Steve, because it's, it's been some time since he's been a really effective player. Mm-hmm. You're, you're correct. He went from, yeah. Pittsburgh, or went from Ottawa to, to Pittsburgh, and it hasn't worked. But he wasn't that effective in Ottawa. Uh, you know, I do a right. lot of those games. And, um, so it's been a couple of seasons. I, I would be a little nervous that he could recapture the magic. Right, right. But that's, you know, that's the type of player um, that they would look to add, I believe. I mean, barring any kind of massive upset, the Jets or Preds will be in the conference finals. I mean, so seems likely, right? You know, so, like they're, you know, they're gonna, they're not gonna play each other in the first round, right? So at least one of them, and you know, I guess there's a yeah, there's a, a chance, better than right. average chance that both of them are gonna get through their their initial series, and then of course that means they match and. You know, in the division finals, mm-hmm. and one of them's going to the conference final. Right, it's, a, right. it's a tough, uh, it's a tough conference to get out of. But I don't, I just don't. Uh, you know, the five teams that are in, you know, the other, the other six or seven are all fighting for three yeah. spots. But Calgary, San Jose, uh, Vegas, Nashville, Winnipeg—they're all in, yep. and they're all capable of beating each other. I think playoff format's still lame, by the way, in my opinion. I don't like. Yeah, it. I, I, I prefer one verse eight. Mm-hmm. Two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, and then you you take the top seed and they play the bottom seed. You know that that's how I would prefer it to be done, but nobody asks. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your New York Islanders. They're leading the Metro Division. What the hell? That's awesome. Yeah, I would have never saw it. No, um, didn't predict it. Didn't see it. Um, only one time in a hundred years has a team finished last in goals against one year and first the next year. And that was 100 years ago <laughs> when there was six teams. I hadn't heard that stat. That's amazing. Wow. You know, yeah. So here they are. They're, you know, a lot of this credit, of course, has to go to Barry Trotz. Um, you know, a completely new way of doing business in New York with Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz. And they brought in a new goaltending coach in Piero Greco. Um, uh, he came from Toronto. Mitch Korn came with Barry Trotz from Washington. So they've rebuilt how they look at their goaltenders. They mm-hmm. signed Robin Leonard. Um, to a one-year deal, and yeah. then we hear this summer uh, the the personal troubles that Leonard has gone through, um, really struggling mentally over his NHL career. Mm-hmm. He's gotten some help, and Leonard has been outstanding this year. But Trotz has coached a system that the players obviously understand mm-hmm. and have obviously played it really effectively. And, you know, I don't think they're a great team, um, but they played together. They, you know, they, as I said, they play a system they seemingly understand. Mm-hmm. Matt Barzell is having a terrific year. I thought he would struggle a little bit without Tavares mm-hmm. there to Field him. Uh, to take some of the heat yep. away from him, but that's not been the case. And um, now they got some decisions coming up too. They've got some contracts they got to sign. Uh, free agents that are, you know, Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, two very important players for them. But um, you know. You, if you want to find out what's going on, don't ask Lou Lamarillo because he's not <laughs> going to tell you. So, 
under the cloak of darkness, they'll get something done there one way or the other. But that's a, that's a pretty cool team to watch. And uh, I'm excited for the end of February. I've got uh, I get to go back. Uh, I don't get back there very much. And uh, February 28th, the Leafs are in uh, New York, and it's the game's at the Coliseum. And I can just imagine what kind of reception mm-hmm. John Tavares is going to get there. Are they going to raise your jersey that night? No, that's just for the Stanley Cup champions. Okay. They don't need they don't need to raise my jersey. <laughs> I I love going there. I I like that people still remember um yeah. our team and our run that we had and um I'm happy to be going back to the Coliseum because I'm sure it doesn't look a whole lot like when we were there. Yeah. Um but it's the same place and I and I look forward to it. I find their decision uh on goaltending this summer to be fascinating. What are they going to do? Like it's, you know, um you know, well, been... Lou Lamarillo has a saying: "If you've got time, use it." Yeah, and um, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to run this out for sure. I mean, Leonard's on a one-year deal. Yep, yep. and um, but, there's but... no need to extend him right now. They just let it play itself out. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Are they going to be like, "Hey, we believe in you"? You know, it was just the one year, but here's here's a long-term big money deal. No. You know? No, I I think I think you're looking at a two-year deal. Okay. They also have um, a Russian kid. Um, that is really, really good. They drafted him a couple of years ago, um, uh, Ilya Sorokin. Uh, the Rangers have one, Sheshkorov, and I always get them mixed up, and the Capitals have one, Samsonov. Yeah. And the, so these three Russian kids, but the Islanders, I don't think they believe their guy is very far away oh, okay. from coming to yeah, North yeah. America. And so that maybe that gives them a little depth that we don't think about, right? Because there's a lot of Bobrovsky to the Islanders talk, but who knows, right? Yeah, it's it's right. Crazy. But I, I just I don't see a team going to pay a goalie ten million dollars anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it. I'm, you know, Bobrovsky's had a very average year, and maybe he's in the picture for for the Islanders, but yeah. he's never won a playoff series. Um, he's won two Vezinas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't yep. want to stay in Columbus, so he's going to be out there for the taking. And I, I'm certain a lot of teams will kick tires on Bobrovsky yep. just to see where exactly his his expectation is of dollars. Um, something that happened uh, while we were uh, not doing a show last week was the Edmonton Oilers made a general manager change. Uh, it, it's been rumored for a long time. Peter Shirelli let go. Uh, Keith Gretzky in. Obviously not going to be permanent, I don't think. Bob Nicholson's out there. They're going, to look, yeah. they're going to look for one, but, I mean, I think that, uh, once again, the Oilers' rebuild uh, hits the reset button. Uh, well, they just they haven't got it right for a decade. And, you know, there's been spurts and spats here. You know, they made the finals in 2006, but mm-hmm. that was 13 years ago. And they made the playoffs a couple of years ago, and then they've cratered since. Um, they need somebody there, um, in my opinion, that will – take a completely different view of what is needed. One of the biggest mistakes that I I thought Peter Shirelli made was with Connor McDavid, which is just this immensely talented player that you have, is that they felt they had to win now. Why did they? He was 19, Mm -hmm. 18. You know, Mario Lemieux didn't win until he was 26 or 7. So what was wrong with building through the draft, adding players around his age? Oh, they went right out and they signed Milan Lucic for $42 million. Now they can't, he can't play right now, mm-hmm. and it's been a year and a half that it's been a struggle for him. They can't trade him. 
they traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been one miss after another. Whoever goes in there has to reset what their vision is, has to reset a little bit of a timeline, and has to try and get into their prospect bucket a hell of a lot more players than they have because they don't have enough that are in the pipeline. They're, they're starting to draft well. They've got some young players that are really interesting, but they need to add speed, they need to add skill, and they need to add a lot of it. I did the game the night Shirelli was fired against Detroit. I couldn't believe how much faster Detroit is than Edmonton. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even close. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not good. So, if you're an Oilers fan, you're just, yeah, waiting again and, and seeing what can happen. But what, what, what can you really do? Like, there's a lot of immovable parts there. There is, and yep. so that's why it's going to take yep. a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I read people saying, oh, you got to buy out Lucic. His contract is basically buyout-proof because it's all bonus money. Yeah. You don't save any money. You save the roster spot. But one of the reasons you buy out a player is so that you can save cash while you're getting an open roster spot with Lucic that doesn't work that way. What did you make of re-signing uh, Koskinen? Couldn't believe it. <laughs> okay, me too. I couldn't believe it in particular since Shirelli was fired the next day, the day after they announced it. Yeah. yeah. Like it made no sense. Yeah, I don't really know how that works as far as the uh, the semantics and all that, where they got to say, hey, where Peter goes to them and says, hey, I, I want to wrap up this deal with, with Koskinen. And they say, just give it a day or two. I don't know how that all works, but yeah, well, it seems strange. Well, I, I, I was surprised um, that the deal was signed and then announced and then he was fired. Clearly, mm-hmm. other people in the organization signed off on it. Mm-hmm. The problem that Edmonton had was they came into the year with two goalies that were in the last year of their contract, and you don't want to enter next season with nobody signed. I don't know why they had to offer three years to Koskinen. Yeah. Um, a very, very limited viewing of him and the night he signed he went out against Detroit and gave up three stinky ones and they lost 3-1. Yeah. Um I, I don't I Yeah. It wouldn't have been my preference put it that way. Yeah, to me I'm just like, hey, this is not working. Both of you are gone. We'll get somebody next year. That, well, that, but that, you, yeah. you got to be careful with that because what if you can't get anybody? I don't know. Get Barry Trotz well, no, but type that's, coach. That's why to, fans yeah. aren't GMs. Right. Because <laughs> I don't know doesn't work. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get anything else you want to cover. You want to cover the All-Star game at all? I, I watched very, very, very well, little. Well, I don't, I don't watch the All-Star game, but my kids do. Yep. And my kids love the, the skills competition. And yep. certainly my wife, uh, Cammie uh, Granado, was super pumped to watch Kendall Coyne do yeah, the, the skating cool. race. She was amazing in it. And the game is for sponsors, and it's for kids. Those of us that are you know, not either of those things, probably don't have anywhere near the interest that other people do. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, man, I loved the All-Star game. It was fun. I loved watching players play with different players from yeah. other teams. And that's what the kids like today. I love seeing who had to change their number, who got to keep their number. You know, yeah, that, that kind they of don't stuff. do that anymore, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I, I love that stuff, too. Yeah. I, I loved it. And I, I thought the I like watching the skills uh, because it's way harder than people think. It's probably way harder than the players think, too. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into some Twitter questions. You want to do that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, Josh McKernan says, uh, please ask Gray what his dream golf foursome would be. Dream golf foursome. Oh, man. Interesting. I'd probably want to play with Tiger Woods. Um, 
Rory McIlroy, mm-hmm. um, Jack Nicklaus. Okay, all right. I uh, I don't know. I'm I'm amazed by greatness, um, which of course Woods and and Nicholas have. And I've always been a McIlroy fan. I'd love to see how somebody that size hits it that far. Now I've played at his home course in in Ireland, Royal County Down. It's rated one of the top two courses in the world for the past few mm-hmm. years. It's an amazing place. But there's a picture of McElroy and he's walking up the first fairway and he's carrying his bag. He's you know, he's a teenager and he's got this wild mop of hair under his hat. Yeah. He's a chunky little guy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, man, that's that was him just Right. Getting started. Then he got all and, buff, uh, right? Then he got super buff the last few years. Oh, yeah, he's, he's shredded up pretty good. <laughs> right. I played the other day, by the way, because my mom was in town. I don't like golf, but she loves it. And I played the other day, and you'll you'll get a kick out of this. Par 3, 176 yards. I couldn't hit my irons worth of crap for whatever reason. I put out a three-wood <laughs> on a on a, off the off the ground and, and landed right close to the thing and got a birdie. You hit a three-wood off the ground yes. on a 176-yard <laughs> yes. hole. Yes, yes. You, you just told me everything I need to know about your golf game. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I don't know. So I barely hit it, and it, it was actually a great shot. Uh, I told another friend of mine, and he said the same thing as you. He was disgusted with me. Yeah, that's um, what a blind squirrel, acorn, all that stuff. Right, all of that. Yeah. Uh, Real Abba Ob, Ob, says, uh, Ray, why did the Atlanta Thrashers' home and away jerseys never match? I don't know. Maybe that's why they're not a team. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They matched when we were there. Then they went to the blue. Blue. Well, they had the Ranger-type lettering on them at some point, too. Yeah, but they had a blue with, like, one arm, darker blue, and... Yeah, I, I don't know who designed all that stuff. After I left, I was like, you know, I, I, I don't know. They were trying. I, I don't even know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Nothing about the Thrashers makes sense. No, not at all. They had a guy named Stryker as their pilot. Yes, Stryker was. Stryker might have designed it. Who knows? <laughs> right. uh, Derek Aldred says, uh, from a player's perspective, what are some of the things that make an arena good or bad? I'm interested in this for home arenas as well. The benefits of a new arena is for the owners and the fans, but it's not clear to me what the differences are for players. And I think he's referring to not so much the the ice, you know, not so much the boards and the because you've as you've told us many times, these arenas are all the same nowadays. But what about amenities behind the scenes? Well, for for the home teams, of course, like you, if if the teams are building a, a new arena, you get everything that any of the new stuff, anything that's the latest iteration of whatever is in your room. Um, some teams have gone and built really big home locker rooms. Then they found that that's not really the way to be. They, they want them more compact. So you've, um, you know, so the guys are closer together. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the best way. Um, you've got every training facility. A lot of the new rinks have, uh, shooting, uh, off ice shooting, uh, Ranges. Oh, they do, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. You, they get. It's all set up. They they have these machines that basically you shoot the pucks. The pucks return to you. You don't have to go get them. <laughs> Jeez, nice. And uh, and so you can work on your shooting when you can't go on the ice or don't want to go on the ice. Um, yeah. Um, I would say lighting makes a, a difference. Some rinks are darker than others, and that might be because of the seat colors or the way that they light um, the seating area when the game is on. Um, I never like dark rinks. It it just 
seemed like we were in a closet. Um, most of the rinks now, I mean, you don't go into too many and say, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't a very good rink. I right. mean, they're, they're all pretty nice. We were in Boston last night, and, you know, somehow that rink is, you know, coming up to 30 years old. Is it really? Has it been that they're long? 95. Jeez. You know, huh. so, you know what, so they're, they're doing some renovations in there, and, of course, they've got the limitation. It's underneath or right oh. beside the train station, yeah. right? Yeah, And so, um, but they're doing rentals in there, and they're trying to, you know, to, to make it as modern as possible. Lots of, lots of change down below where the locker rooms are. Um, you know, the Bruins are getting more facilities, and that'll be part of the renovation as well. Do any arenas have, um, do the players pull inside and park inside? Any of them have? Oh, yeah. Any? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, That'd be pretty sweet. Lot, lots of them do. Uh, lots of them just have a parking area right next to the building. Right. And a lot of that would be just the space of the building that, mm-hmm. um, you know, when it was built, what the footprint is. I know in Montreal they park inside. In Toronto they park inside. Um, I don't think they park inside. Well, they don't park inside in Winnipeg where they would probably be nice to <laughs> yeah. because there is no room There's in no- the building. Nothing, yeah. Um, all right, Dale Hunter's Helmet says, Ray, if during your playing day players had a personal goal song, what would your song have been? I don't know. That Hall and Oates thing for the Leafs has got to go. Well, the guys like it. Do they really? They actually like they picked, well, they it? picked it. Oh, they did. I didn't. Yeah. I, didn't I didn't know this. I just okay. Yeah, oh. they they picked it. I I don't know. I'd um, see, so I was playing in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know what I liked then. <laughs> I wasn't really a music guy. You know. Um, I can't, I can't even come up with one Okay. because I want it to be good. Right? Yeah, I, don't want, yeah, I yeah. Want to, don't want to put it out there and everyone go, well, that song sucked. How about, like, Hell's Bells? Yeah, see, I don't – no, I wasn't – no. <laughs> okay. I mean, you can't go wrong with ACDC in an arena. In an arena. Well, I, I was going to say, you'd, that's, of course, the first thing you think of, ACDC or something from the Stones or – Yeah. You know, but I'm like, I can't even come up with one. I, the personalized huh. goal song, I don't – I don't think it matters as much because, like, a, a hitter's walk-up song. Right. Because it's so quiet when the hitter walks up, right? That's the focus. When the goal scores, everybody's cheering, and it's just, like, more noise. Yeah, you don't really hear it. Good point. Um, all right, Jack Manning says, uh, Ray, every year there are 17-year-old prospects that get knocked down the rankings as a result of character issues, quote-unquote. How often are these issues overblown? Oh, I, I think it would depend on, on the kid. I mean, there is... Certainly, I think the you know scouts have have become more and more involved in trying to find out as much about a player as they can. Um, a lot of times, the the scout has to balance is is this kid just immature, like most of us were when we were seventeen, mm-hmm. or is there some deeper seated issue that really could be a concern? And so, I don't know on how many times uh, a kid would get knocked down or. Uh, down the rankings, or um, I don't know how many times a a scout would look at it and say, you know what, I'm not really that concerned about it. But I do know when they talk to the kids, for the most part, uh, that's part of what they're trying to evaluate. When they interview the players, they're trying to figure out, um, you know, what's this kid about? Because we've already watched him play X number of games. I want to know a little bit more about what he's about. Eddie24 says, Ray, why are you changing your golf swing? Because I have the smother hooks. Now, Eddie is a guy from Vancouver 
who hits the ball about 14 miles. So okay. he doesn't really have he to does, change too much. Have to worry about it, right? Yeah. So I and I also like the challenge of changing something. I don't know. Keeps you could... me engaged. Yeah. So I've, I've been around a, a seven handicap, six seven handicap for a bit, and I want to see if I can get a little lower. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying a few mm-hmm. new things. Three wood. Try the three wood on those no. par threes. Okay, uh, TJ Cascone says, if you were building an expansion team, which part of the core of the team do you develop between goaltending, de- defense, and forward? And what do you prioritize for immediate success or long-term success? So just basically, Ray, what would be a, an expansion team plan for you if someone were to put you in charge of one? Well, I would probably look a lot at what Vegas did. They went for speed mm-hmm. um, all around their lineup. They went for mobility. Um, they looked for agility on the blue line and guys that could move the puck. And they got lucky that Marc-Andre Fleury was – was available when he was. Now, part of building an expansion team is luck. Um, the guys that are available, you don't, you have no say in the guys that you have to pick, right? The yeah. other teams make them available, and this is what you got. But for me, given the way the game has gone, um, it would be speed, skill, and agility. Um, I would also look for a couple of players that I feel are better-than-average thinkers that can help steady the team when we have some rough spots because what Vegas has done is an anomaly to me. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't think Seattle's going to be able to do the same thing. Um, and you can't have a bunch of guys racing around the ice 150 miles an hour and they don't know where they're supposed to go. And that would be the, the thinkers that I would, I would try to look at. Um, you want some, a little bit of character, a little bit of toughness, mm-hmm. but you've got to play the way the game is played now, and that's fast. Uh, Blue since birth, obviously biased, but wants to know, uh, why isn't Pierre Turgeon in the Hall of Fame? His numbers are close. I don't, you know, he would be, he and Alex McGillney probably would be the two guys that jump out to me. I think Um, Pierre is the highest point scorer not in. But I think Alex and Pierre are very similar. Yeah. In that, um, for some reason, they've been overlooked. Um, There are players that didn't win that, have way less points than Pierre, and um, and I think both Pierre and uh, McGillney should be in. Especially someone like yourself, you played with Pierre, you saw him nightly. Yeah, played yeah. against McGillney for his whole career, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, these are guys that I think belong in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, Jason Isler says, uh, why do some GMs hate players wearing high numbers? I only know one GM, but maybe there's more out there. Well, I, don't think, I don't think they do. Um, Just Lou. You know, I you know the bunch of the Islander guys had to change numbers this year um, because you know Lou doesn't like them. Uh, some teams, I was in Boston. Uh, the only number under ten that isn't retired is six. Yeah. So players are wearing higher numbers in Boston because there are no other numbers. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's the case in in some places. Another is it's just. Uh, I don't know. For the players, it's a freer thing. You're able to pick whatever number you want. Guys pick their birth years. Um, maybe a lot of the guys in charge are traditionalists, and you know yeah. we, we all used to wear numbers between one and thirty-one. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Even thirty-five was a an <laughs> it was, outlier. It was, it was strange. Yeah, uh, ninety-nine and sixty-six, and then everyone else under thirty, thirty-one. Yeah. Um, how about Wolf Paymont wearing ninety-nine? Remember that? Yeah, that was. Uh, uh, an iffy choice. <laughs> Brian Lawton wore 98 his first year. Oh, did he? Yeah. 
Um, and then, he, then he went to 17, which was a better choice. Listen, lose, lose an all-timer and everything, but the no facial hair, the no high number, it's like, come on, just, just, just stop it, right? Yeah, the so. facial hair stuff, I, you know. Yeah. I, hell, I got a beard. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not so... Right. I'm not so sure that matters one way or the other, but he's the boss, and yeah. boss makes the rules. Uh, Wyatt Thompson says, uh, what's it feel like when you have 108 tucks in the WHL and don't get invited to the World Juniors that year? I'd still be pissed about that. Hashtag snub of the century. You told us you had 50-something at the break or whatever. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> – I mean, it's long past. Yeah. I mean, it's 35, 35 34 years ago, but, um, yeah, it was a joke. And I should have been there, and I wasn't, and yep. um, and that was my one chance to play in the World Junior, and never got to, and it and it kind of sucked. I would have loved to have wear Canada's jersey, yeah. when I was a teenager. Unbelievable, <laughs> crazy. Um, all right, last one. Uh, Don Keitek says, uh, see if Ray can guess the only three players to have 500 plus goals and 2,000 plus penalty minutes. Love to see if he gets it. I got two of them off the top of my head. I had to go and. Look online and get the third. Uh, what do you off top of your? You didn't cheat well, on one this, of right? Pat Verbeek. That's the one I didn't get. Oh, it's got to be. Do you do you have them in front? Yeah, of I you? do. Yeah, I, lo- I had to look them up. It is it, yeah. Verbeek's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got the other two off top of my head, and I had to look up Verbeek. That's funny. The the, the, the one you didn't have, I got right yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I, I'm missing two obvious. Brendan Shanahan. Yep. That's that's the other one. Yep. That's one. Um. Drawing a blank on the third. Give me a team. Or does that give it away? Uh, no, I'll, uh, St. Louis. St. Louis? Mm-hmm. Oh, Keith Kachuk. Yep. There we go. Yeah. I was like, St. Louis, Shanahan. <laughs> right, right. I was going to say Jets. It was too easy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's the three guys. So That's uh, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? That's a, Those are busy guys. <laughs> busy. It's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> All right, uh, this day in Ray, uh, here we go. So January 30th, 1992, great great game, I bet. Uh, you're on the New York Islanders, and uh, 8-5 over the Penguins. 8-5, there's a, there's a 90s classic for early 90s yep. classic, eh? You know what's funny is I've done these for a bunch, and I've been looking at your stats and digging these up, things up. What you got, so the Penguins of the early 90s were just powerhouses, two cups right. and everything else, and you beat them in that series. I'm surprised how many times I see you on the Islanders beating the Penguins badly by scoring a ton of goals on Tom Barrasso or whoever. I don't know if you remember having their number in the regular seasons, but no, I would never say we had their number. We'd always felt like we were running uphill against those guys. Okay, all right, yeah, because uh, man, eight five, eight five. Uh, Did you do anything? Two assists, two assists on the night. Uh, out of the eight goals, you had. Uh, let me see here. You had one on Curver's power play goal. And then one on uh, uh, Tom Fitzgerald scored. So two assists for you, plus three on oh, the yeah. night. That's a, that's a good night at the office oh, yeah. right there. 100%. And uh, two shots on net. Fitzpatrick was uh, your goalie and uh, Wendell Young for the Penguins. So, and let's just see what Mario did with the, with the five. I'm sure he got something. Uh, here we go. Uh, oh. Mario didn't play. Oh, so he didn't play, and he only and they only got five that night. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, Larry Murphy minus four for the for the Penguins. Uh, Kevin Stevens uh, with a couple of helpers, but uh, Brian Trache too. 
trots at a two, one and one. See, th- those games were fun. There were lots going on, man. Yeah, yeah, so much, right? Uh, all right, everybody. Well, hey, thanks to Kenny Albert for coming on. Really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Uh, PaulPocky.com. Get it uh, on the website or anywhere you get podcasts from. And, Ray, enjoy Winnipeg and the weather today. I will, um, I will do my best to be as warm as possible. <laughs> all right. Thanks for your time, man. Thanks, man. Later.